Because if you're old enough to remember Johnny Carson, he would come out sometimes and he would say, man, it was hot out there today. And everybody would say, how hot was it? <laughs> well, John 3.16 says, man, God loves us. <laughs> how much does he love us? Well, he loved us so much that he was willing to give his one and only son for us. To die in our place that whoever would believe in him would never, ever, ever perish or be separated from him, but have eternal and everlasting life. That is how much God loves us. That is how much Jesus Christ loved us, willing to give his life for us. And so I know this past weekend we celebrated Valentine's Day. As you can tell, I'm still celebrating it. So, uh... <laughs> But we want to make sure we know and understand the origin of love, where love truly comes from. The Bible says not only does God love, he is love. He is love. He is the very definition of love. And he expressed and exemplified his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he died for us. He did not wait for us to get it right. He did not wait for us to become Christians. He did not wait for us to start going to church more and praying more and reading our Bibles more and doing good things more. No, he says, while you were a sinner, while you were in your sin, while you were an enemy of mine, enemy of the cross, I died for you. That is how much I love you. And so if God was willing to give all that he had for us while we were sinners, how much more will he freely give us all things in this life as well as in a life to come now that we are saints, now that we are sons, now that we are daughters of the Most High. So that's why we've come to celebrate his love and his goodness toward us. So thank you again so much for being here and joining us in there. God, we thank you again so much for blessing us with this day and this time to gather in your name and in your presence. And we pray that it not be in vain, but what we do here and what you do now to us and even through us, it will accomplish the will, the desire, and the purposes that you predestined even before the foundation of the world. And that is to challenge us. It is to change us. It is to thoroughly equip us with the truth of your word and the power of your spirit that we may be thoroughly equipped for the good work you've called us to do, not just in the four walls of this church, but even in the world for the good of those you're calling us to. So we pray, God, that you would open up our hearts and minds to know, to understand, and to receive your word with clarity and with gladness. We pray, God, that you will be glorified as a result of what you do both now and forevermore. We pray this now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, give the Lord a hand real quick if you will, please. Amen. Well, there are some stories that have been made into movies um, that depict people who have what is known as having a split personality. Okay, Particular stories of our history and movies of people who have split personalities. The one that's most famous and probably uh, the, the original one is the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is about a mild-mannered man named Dr. Jekyll, but he has another persona, he has another personality that is in him named Mr. Hyde, and Mr. Hyde will manifest himself from time to time as a beast. So while Dr. Jekyll is mild and mannered, Mr. Hyde is a beast that is inside him that manifests himself as a wild man, as a as a, uh, a lunatic, as it were, as a ferocious beast from time to time. And then you have those movies and stories that are most recent, like the movie called Split. And after that, the sequel to it, Mr. Glass, where that particular character had multiple personalities inside of him. He had about 20 different people or persons inside of him. And if you remember, one of those personalities was called the Beast. <laughs> and these two characters, no matter how normal they seemed on the outside, no matter how normal they looked or appeared to be on the outside, inside they had a beast within them. 
and it was hidden by the normal personality that they had on the outside. But then you have the Disney classic called Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast was similar, but it was a little different because what you saw was what the beast was. It wasn't masked, it wasn't hidden, it wasn't inside. No, you saw the beast for who it was and what it was. As a matter of fact, the princess Belle, she had to see beyond the beast in order to bring out the beauty. Because with beauty and the beast, what you saw is what it truly or actually was. Well, what does that have to do with our vision or our our lesson for today? Well, today we're going to be introducing you to the antagonist of the end times. We're going to be introducing you today to the antagonist of the end times. You know, every story has a protagonist. The protagonist of every story is the hero that comes to save the day. That is the protagonist. But just like every story has a protagonist, every story also has an antagonist. And the antagonist is the one who comes to interrupt or to get in the protagonist's way. Okay? So every story has a protagonist, every story has an antagonist, and so it is with the story of the end of times or the end of days as well. And Beauty and the Beast could describe both the protagonist and the antagonist respectively, but not in this particular case. In this particular case, Beauty and the Beast will describe the antagonist alone. Beauty and the Beast will describe the antagonist of the end times alone. Why? Because to many, he will appear to be a beauty. But to Daniel, Daniel is going to see him for what he is, and that is a beast. Okay. Now, unlike the movie Beauty and the Beast, where the beauty is hidden by the beast, in the end times, the beast is going to be hidden by the beauty. In other words, he's not going to appear to be a beast. He's not going to appear to have anything wrong with him. There's not going to be anything about the appearance of him that's going to alarm anybody. And so, unlike beauty and the beast, where his beauty was hidden by the beast, In the end times, the antagonist, his beast is going to be hidden by his beauty. In other words, it is going to be a deception of perception. So this next installment of our series called The Sealed Revealed, I want to speak to you today, part two of our series that we're going to call Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. And the beast. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Daniel, up until this point, has been interpreting dreams and visions of other people, namely the kings of Babylon. The kings would have dreams, or the kings would have visions, or the kings would have writings on the wall, and Daniel would come to interpret those dreams and visions of other people. But now at this point, at Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is about to get a vision or a dream of his own. And it is found in Daniel 7, starting in verse 1, and it reads as follows. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings, and I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And then suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. 
And after this I looked, and there was another, a third beast, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And then after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth, and it was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with his feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. Coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in the horn was, were eyes like the eyes of men and a mouth speaking pompous words. Daniel has a dream. Daniel has a vision. And Daniel's vision and Nebuchadnezzar's vision or dream are one and the same. Okay? They are one and the same. Notice the comparison between Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's dream. Nebuchadnezzar saw something of beauty. He saw an image. He saw a statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron. Whereas Daniel sees a beast or four beasts. In Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he has four parts to what he sees. He sees the head of gold, the chest of silver, the torso of bronze, the legs of iron. Well, in Daniel's vision, he sees four parts. He sees four beasts. He sees a lion. He sees a bear. He sees a leopard. And then he sees a beast that he has never seen before. Okay? Both of these dreams or visions see the fourth part being extended. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees the legs of iron being extended to ten toes. In Daniel's vision, he sees the fourth beast being extended to what? Ten horns. Okay. <laughs> so this is the exact same vision or the exact same dream, and therefore it is the exact same interpretation. Okay. And what we said about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we are now going to say the same thing about Daniel's dream. What this dream is all about is about the world powers that are going to come to power to rule all of the world. Okay, These are the four world powers that are going to come to power one day to rule all of the world. Right now, we're not seeing that happening. Why? Because we have presidents, we have prime ministers, we have elected officials that rule right now. But before we had this, you, you had one kingdom and one king ruling everybody, ruling the entire world, okay? And God says there are going to be a total of four of these types of kingdoms. They're going to come to power and they're going to rule the entire world. And if you've been with us for a while, you know who those four powers were in history. Babylon was the very first. Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar would be the very first world power. After Babylon, you would have the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay. The Medo-Persian Empire, where the Medes and the Persians came together to defeat Babylon. Okay, That's probably why in Daniel's vision, it's depicted as a bear on one side, because one of those two kingdoms was more powerful than the other, that being Persia. Okay, Then you have, after the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece. Okay, And Greece, when it came to power and it conquered, it conquered quickly. It conquered swiftly. So maybe that is why Daniel sees a leopard having four wings on its back because of the sure speed of how Greece ruled. And so you have Babylon is the first. You have the Medo-Persian Empire, which is the second. You have Greece, which is the third. But then you have the fourth beast. You have the fourth section to the statue. You have the fourth beast that Daniel sees. And this one in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees legs of iron, right? 
Well, what does Daniel see in his beast? He sees this beast having iron teeth (laughs) because it's the exact same world power who would come to pass. And this world power would be none other than Rome. Rome would be the fourth world power to rule all of the known world. And just like the iron legs went into feet with ten toes, this fourth beast is going to have ten horns or ten kings or ten kingdoms. And then Daniel's vision goes even further than Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Because Daniel then sees another horn come out of nowhere. A little horn that comes up from the midst of those ten horns. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't see a pinky toe come up out of nowhere. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar doesn't see a little toe come up out of nowhere. So Daniel's vision goes even beyond. It goes even further than Nebuchadnezzar's dream because Daniel sees a little horn that comes up out of obscurity. Comes up out of nowhere from the ten horns that are already there and he subdues three out of those ten and he comes to power having the eyes of a man and having a mouth that speaks pompous words so the question that many biblical scholars and others have had over the centuries now that this seal has been broken open and the prophecy has been revealed is this is this something that has already been fulfilled Or is it yet still? This prophecy that Daniel is getting, that God told him to seal up until the end of times, seal up until the last of days, is this something that has already been fulfilled in history? Or is it something that is yet still? It is yet to come. Because if you look back in history, you will find different things. You will find different kings. You will find different kingdoms that would identify with this particular prophecy. And if you are uh, one who likes prophecy and you study prophecy, you may have found out that there are people who believe that this has already happened. This has already taken place and they will give you names of kings and names of kingdoms and names of rulers that identify with this prophecy and they will say all this has already taken place. Then you have those who believe that some of this has taken place, (laughs) most of this has taken place, but not all of it has taken place. There is still some that is yet to come. But it's debatable, but even though it's debatable when these things begin, what's not debatable is how these things will end, okay? Now, we can debate all day long (laughs) if this prophecy already began or not, but what's not debatable is how these things are going to end, because in both dreams, in both vision, they have it ending the same way. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees a rock coming out of the sky. Striking the statue, striking the image at its feet, the entire thing crumbling into ashes and a great wind coming and blowing it away. Then that rock becomes a great mountain that fills the whole world forever. Well, Daniel is going to see the exact same end of all of this. We don't have time to get into all the scripture, but verses 9 through 14, Daniel sees exactly how all of this is going to end. He says, then a trial is going to ensue. The Ancient of Days is going to be seated. Books are going to be opened. All of these beasts that I saw, they are going to be judged and they are going to be destroyed. And then the son of man is going to come in the clouds. He is going to be given dominion. He's going to be given authority. He's going to be given power. And he's going to be given a kingdom that has no end. Both of these dreams, both of these visions has the end of days or the end of times ending the exact same way. So what Daniel now is going to do is he is going to ask for the meaning of all of this. He's gotten this dream, he's gotten this vision of these four beasts, and he wants to know, what does this dream mean? 
What is its interpretation? So in verse 15, it says, And I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, and I asked him the truth of all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. That's how we know what this dream is all about. It's not a guessing game. We're not wondering. Daniel asked for the interpretation of what this dream means, and God is going to give him the interpretation. What does he say in verse 17? He says, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever even forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> so Daniel simply comes and says, okay, what's going on with these beasts? What do these beasts mean? What are they? And God lets him know these are four kings or four kingdoms or four world powers that are going to come to rule the known world. But after that, they will come to an end and the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And we shall reign forevermore, just like Revelation says. He gives this interpretation to Daniel as well. So this is what you would call an overview, okay? <laughs> this is an overview of the end times. There is a lot more to the end times than just that, okay? <laughs> okay? Daniel comes and says, okay, what's going on with this dream? What does it mean? He says, well, the four beasts are four kings, but then they're going to be done away with. God's going to come back. He's going to rule. He's going to give it to his people. That's the dream. Okay. But that's an overview. <laughs> it's kind of like the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I was having a conversation with somebody this past week about that. Some people would read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as a novel. Wrong. Can't do that. <laughs> you read Genesis 1 and you will see how God created everything and then he created mankind at the end. And then you turn to Genesis 2, and it says, and then God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Yo, wait a minute. Who did he make in Genesis 1? Well, same person. <laughs> same, same story. Same creation story. Only Genesis 1 is an overview of creation. Genesis 2 is creation in detail. Okay? You can't read the Bible like a novel. It is not in chronologic or sequential order. So Genesis 1 is an overview Genesis 2 is the detailed view of creation. Well, the same thing happens here in Daniel. God has just given Daniel an overview of the end times. Okay, A quick summation of the end times. The cliff notes, if you will, of the end times. Okay, But... Daniel wants details. And don't you want details as well? <laughs> okay, I, I know these things are going to come to pass and I know God is coming back and we're going to rule and reign with him, but I want details. Okay, You've given me the beginning, you've given me the end, but what happens in between those two things? What happens in the middle? What are the details of the end of days? Daniel wants details. So in verse 19 it says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And I also wanted to know about the ten horns that it had that were on its head and the other horn which came up out of nowhere before which three fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Okay? Now, this is one of the clues that some would use to say, this is why we believe we're not going to be here during this time, because Daniel says he sees this little horn warring and prevailing against the saints. Well, what did Jesus say about the church he was going to build? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? 
So because this little horn is warring and prevailing against the people of God, this is a clue that lets us know perhaps, just maybe, again, again, we may not agree with this, but just maybe it is a clue that lets us know the church is not here at this time, okay? We're not there yet, but just stick with me, okay? (laughs) Stick with me. So I saw this same horn who was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days showed up. Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So those Christians who believe, no, we are going to be here, they would argue, yes, he may be prevailing over them, but it's not going to lead to their end. He may be prevailing over them now, but it's not going to lead to their defeat. The Ancient of Days is going to come, and he's going to rescue them from the hand of this little horn. Okay? So no matter how you see it, these are a little bit further details given to Daniel concerning the end of days or the end of time. Not only are these four world powers coming to pass, not only will they be defeated and Christ is going to come to rule everything forever, but in between that, this little horn is going to be given power. This little horn is going to reign and going to rule, but he is also going to come against the saints of God. He is going to come against the people of God and he is for a time is going to be able to prevail over the people or saints of God. So the question then you may have in your mind (laughs) is what is going on with this fourth beast? What is the image of these ten horns that this beast has? And more specifically, what or who is this little horn? That is what Daniel wants to know, and that is what you and I want to know now. Since it's this little horn that's going to come to power and is going to war against the saints of God and prevail against the people of God, we want to know who or what that little horn is. (laughs) Who or what is that little horn that has the eyes of man who speaks boastful words that comes out of nowhere in the midst of these ten kings that takes out three of these kings that wars against the saints, who or what is this little horn? That is what Daniel wants to know. And so Daniel gets the details in verse 23. In verse 23 it says this, Then he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. And we now know that fourth kingdom to rule the old, all the world was Rome. The fourth kingdom, that's the fourth beast, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. There was no kingdom like Rome. Babylon wasn't like Rome. Medo-Persia wasn't like Rome. Greece wasn't like Rome. There was no kingdom like Rome, okay? Rome was that fourth beast or that fourth kingdom to rule all the all of the known world and it shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it into pieces. The ten horns, watch this, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. So this fourth beast is the fourth kingdom, Rome. The ten horns represent the ten kings that are going to come from this fourth beast or kingdom. And another, another horn shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. This particular horn, this particular king that comes to power, he is going to make pompous words against God, the Most High. He's going to do the same and rage war against the people of God. And then he's going to try to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, in half a time, okay? Don't have time to get into that right now, but stay with us. We will get into what that means there. 
But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So again, gives a little bit more detail a little bit more description of what this fourth kingdom is going to be like, who this little horn is and what he is going to do when he comes on scene. Gives a little bit more details, but now we are beginning to focus in or see a little bit clearer who this little horn actually is. Okay? Rome was the fourth kingdom and its fall created Europe. Okay? Modern day Europe is simply fallen Rome. After Rome fell, after Rome was defeated by self and they broke up, what you have as a result of that is modern day Europe. So perhaps, just maybe, this is what Bible scholars believe, that from modern day Europe you have these ten kingdoms or these ten countries or these ten kings that represent Europe, okay? And it may or may not even include the United States of America. Why? Because where did we come from? Europe. (laughs) Where do we get our beginning from? Europe. So it may or may not even include the United States of America. So think of the G8, or think of the G20, The G8 and the G20, what we've had in the past, are the major world powers, whether it's through economics or whatever, the major world powers that come together for a coalition for the good of all the world. So imagine instead of a G20, imagine instead of a G8, you have a G10. You have a G10 of these kings or these kingdoms that arise from Europe or the fall of Rome where they come together and all of a sudden somebody else comes up in their midst out of nowhere. Another king arises out of obscurity and it defeats three out of the ten kings of this coalition. And he becomes the one that's in control. The one that's in power. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly how it's going to happen, but this is the idea or the imagery behind the interpretation that Daniel is receiving. This fourth beast is the fourth kingdom. We know the fourth kingdom was Rome. From Rome, you're going to have these ten powers, and from these ten powers, another little king is going to come out of nowhere, and he is going to come to power. This is the little horn. Now, whoever and whatever does this is the one who becomes both the beauty and the beast. Whenever you see whoever or whatever this is that comes out of these ten kings, subdues three, and comes to power, is the one who becomes both the beauty and the beast. Throughout scripture, throughout the Bible, he goes by many names, okay? He is known by many names, okay? He is known as the little horn in Daniel. He is known as the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition to Paul. He is known as the Antichrist to John. And he is called the beast in Revelation. But he is the same one. He is the one who opposes God, the one who comes against God, and the one who tries to sit in the place of God as God. That is who this little horn is. And you may be thinking, well, ultimately that's Satan, right? Absolutely, because that's exactly what Satan tried to do. Satan wasn't always Satan, okay? I don't know if y'all know that or not. Satan got a name change. He wasn't always Satan. Satan's name used to be Lucifer. And Lucifer is actually a beautiful name. Okay. Now, I wouldn't recommend you naming your son Lucifer. Don't do that. (laughs) But still, 
Lucifer is actually a beautiful name. It means shining one. It means light bearer. Because that's who God created Lucifer to be. But one day, Lucifer decided to come against God. To rebel against God because he wanted to be God. And so he got kicked out of the kingdom and he also got a name change. He was no longer called Lucifer, light bearer or shining one. He is now called Satan, which means adversary of God. Or one who opposes God. His name now matches his new character and identity. So when this little horn comes to power... He is going to be coming to power in the power of his father, Satan, who did the exact same thing. Only this time he is coming in the flesh. Okay, Just like God came to this world in the flesh through Jesus Christ, the Antichrist is the same thing. Satan is going to come to this world in the flesh through the Antichrist. He is going to be this little horn, this son of perdition, this lawless one, this man of sin, this beast, the Antichrist, is going to be Satan in the flesh. Beauty and the beast. Okay, It will be more than just a possession like he did with Judas. It will be more than just influencing somebody like he does with the masses. No, this actual person is going to come in the power of Satan himself. Now, many have tried to pinpoint who this being actually is. Okay, who is the Antichrist? Since since this book has been opened, since this seal has been revealed, many have been wondering and trying to pinpoint who this person or who the Antichrist actually is. Some people believe that Hitler was the Antichrist because he certainly comes from Europe and he comes to power and I'm sure he took out some kings in the the process and he certainly came against the people of God killing over six million Jews and so for a time people thought Hitler must be the Antichrist. (laughs) Hitler has to be the Antichrist, but he came and left and time marches on, right? (laughs) Others believe maybe Stalin was the Antichrist. Saddam Hussein may have been the Antichrist. Or any of the recent U.S. presidents (laughs) have been known to be maybe the Antichrist, including the last one and including our current one. You have a lot of people who believe the last one was the Antichrist and the current one's the Antichrist. Wrong! (laughs) You even have some who believe that it's really not a person, it's actually a system. It is actually a system, and they would say the Antichrist is actually the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church is the one who's come literally from Rome, who's been given power to do certain things over people. And people now see the Roman Catholic Church as God himself. And they take the word of the Pope even over the word of God itself. So you have some who say it's not even a person, it's a system. (laughs) Now, again, it's debatable. It is debatable who this little horn, who the Antichrist is, actually is. But the reason why we speculate the way that we do is because his spirit is already here. Okay? (laughs) That is why we speculate the way we do. (laughs) Because whether or not he is already here, his spirit is already here. Okay? His people are already here. His work is already being done. In other words. (laughs) And so that's why we begin to speculate and wonder and say, I wonder if that's him. I wonder if that's the one because his spirit is already at work. First John 2.18 says it like this. First John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. <laughs> By which we know that it is the last hour. The Bible says that even though the time is coming when the Antichrist will come, 
many antichrists have already come. So Hitler could have been an antichrist, even though he wasn't the antichrist. Stalin could have been an antichrist, even though he wasn't the antichrist. Because the Bible says many antichrists will come before the antichrist comes. Just like you have many little Christ in the world now. <laughs> we have little Christ right now. Little Christians. That's what Christian means. Christian means Christ-like. And before the Christ comes, you're going to have many Christ here in the world. Same thing with the kingdom of darkness. Same thing with the kingdom of Satan. Before the Antichrist comes, you're going to have many little Antichrist coming. Okay? Jump to chapter 4, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 says this, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. You have anything or anybody or any system or any organization that denies that Jesus is the Christ, that he has come in the flesh, the Bible says that spirit is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard, watch this, was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist, yes, is coming, but God says his spirit is already here. His spirit is already working. His spirit is already in the world right now. So just like the spirit of Christ and the people of Christ will precede the coming of Christ, same thing with the Antichrist. <laughs> the spirit of the Antichrist and the people of the Antichrist is going to precede the coming of the Antichrist. In other words, there is going to be a conditioning that takes place. There's going to be a conforming that has, you're not going to jump from zero to a hundred like that. No, that's not how it works. Slowly, one step at a time, this world is going to begin to be conditioned to receive the little horn. Conditioned to receive the Antichrist. Conditioned to receive this one who's going to come to power. If it came all of a sudden, you say, wait a minute, what's going on here? But no, no, he may be the devil, but he's smart, okay? <laughs> He may be the devil, but he knows what he's doing. He knows how to deceive. So he's going to come a little at a time, just a little at a time. I'm just going to condition you a little at a time. So when the Antichrist comes, it's not going to be that big of a deal to the world. Will not be that big of a deal to the world because we would have been conditioned for the Antichrist to come by the spirit of the Antichrist that is already here. So well, how do you know that? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. This will be our last scripture. We'll close with a few thoughts. But 2 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So I believe this is talking about the rapture of the church because it's not talking about God coming to us. It's talking about us going to him. So he says, concerning this, the coming of our Lord Jesus and the gathering of us to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. What is Paul uh, addressing here? He says, I don't want you to think you've missed the coming of Christ. I don't want you to think that the rapture already happened, the rapture already took place, and you missed out on it. Okay? I don't want you to think that, that way. Why? Verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The Bible says there is going to be a falling away. And that is going to come first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself he is God. 
Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The Bible says that the only reason the Antichrist hasn't come up on scene already is because he's being restrained right now. He has been held back right now. And he who restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's why many of us believe that he who restrains him is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit right now is where? In the church. The people of God. And so when the church is removed, when the church is taken out of the way, when the rapture takes place, then he who restrains him will restrain him no more. And finally, the Antichrist will be revealed. He will now come on scene now that he who restrains him is no longer restraining him. Okay? It says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and watch this, and lying wonders. <laughs> lying wonders. Why? Because he is beauty and the beast. <laughs> With all signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. If you are looking for Satan or the Antichrist to come with a red jumpsuit, with a pitchfork, with horns, you're going to be sadly deceived. Because that's not how he's coming. It wouldn't be deception if he came that way. No, he is coming as beauty, even though he's actually the beast. He's coming with lying signs and lying wonders and unrighteous deception, the Bible says. Among those, watch this, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. You have so many people talking about, well, that's my truth. That's my truth. And I'm just living my truth. Well, is your truth the truth? <laughs> is your truth the truth? Because if your truth isn't the truth, your truth is wrong. And you have so many people right now who are living my truth. <laughs> this is my truth. I'm going to live out my truth. They don't want the truth. They are going to reject the truth. And because they are going to reject the truth, the Bible says they're going to believe the lie. They are going to believe the lie because they rejected the truth that they might be saved. In verse 11, it says, for this reason. Why? Because they rejected the truth God gave them. They rejected the mercy. They rejected the grace because they wanted their truth. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible says God is going to help them believe the lie. So what does that mean? How is God going to send strong delusions? Well, there's no darkness in God. There's no deceit in God. What it means, simply put, is God is going to get out of the way. You don't want the truth? Fine, let me get out of the way. <laughs> you don't want to receive the truth? Let me get out of the way. You want your truth? You want to believe the lie? I'm going to let you believe the lie. I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to allow the lie to come and you're going to believe it. How else do you uh, 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 explain this phenomenon that we have going on in our world today, our society? So many people believe in so many things that doesn't even make sense. It is not common sense even. Much less biblical sense. It's not even common sense. But yet you have people who believe it. Why? Because God has gotten out of the way and he's allowed them to believe the lie because they didn't want to believe the truth. God says this is what's going to happen. And it is already happening now. 
The world doesn't want to believe the truth. So the world will believe the lie. That's why you can have a man wearing a dress at the Oscars and everybody applauds that. And said, oh, that's beautiful. No, that's not beautiful. That's a lie. No, don't come against his truth. Don't come against her. No, that's not beautiful. That is the spirit of the beast that is conditioning this world for his coming. That's why you have a a famous athlete who says, I'm going to raise my 12-year-old son now as a 12-year-old daughter. And everybody applauds that as if it's true. That is not beauty. It's not beautiful. (laughs) It is the conditioning of this world to get the world ready for the little horn who's going to come. Because his spirit is already here. Because his work is already being done. And this world is already being conditioned for him. (laughs) And those who reject the truth they are going to believe the lie. That is why he is known as both beauty and beast. (laughs) Because he is a deceiver just like his father. He is a liar just like his father. He'll be deemed as a beauty. You will look at him. You'll look at his persona. You will look at his appearance. You'll look at his personality and you won't see anything wrong with it. He's like, wow, finally we have somebody who can bring this nation and bring this world together again. This is who we've been waiting for. This is who we've been hoping for. Wow. And you won't see nothing but beauty in him. Not knowing that inside it's ferocious beast. So he'll be deemed as a beauty. He will be dismissed as a beast but only to those who didn't want the truth. And as the old saying goes, if you don't stand for the truth, you will fall for the lie. Okay? Please make no mistake about it. You don't stand for the truth, you will fall for the lie. So what God said would happen is already happening. We see that in our world today. We see that in society today. And please, let me let you in on this. The world is not the standard. The world is not the barometer. We're not to look at the world to see how bad things are getting. No, no. The world has always been the world. (laughs) The world will always be the world. It's not the world acting like the world. It's when the church stops acting like the church. That is the barometer. (laughs) That is the falling away. The world can't fall away because the world never was. (laughs) It is the church, it is the people of God that have now fallen away. They are no longer adhering to the word of God. They are no longer being the salt of the earth and the light of the world in places of darkness. They are no longer influencing the world. They're now being influenced by the world. There has become a falling away with the people of God, with the church of God. And that is what God says will be the barometer. No, the world has always been wicked. The world has always been sinful. The world has always done these things. But when you see the church, when you see the church falling away from truth, when you see the church falling away and abandoning from the word of God, that is when you know that time is almost up. Because the falling away, the Bible says, will happen first. Then he who restrains will be removed and the Antichrist be revealed. Now, I don't know how much of this we will see. Okay, Again, it's debatable how much of this we are going to see. Are we going to see the Antichrist rise to power? We're going to say, yeah, that's him. Are we going to go through the tribulation or great tribulation? I don't know how much of all of the end times we are going to see. Okay. So just in case we are still here, or just in case you are still here because you didn't believe, (laughs) either way, either way, (laughs) we are going to continue to reveal what Daniel had sealed about the beauty and the beast so that we will be ready should we still be here, or you would be ready because you didn't believe then, but now you're ready to believe that you've seen it come to pass. You know, I was telling a group a couple of weeks ago that I am so grateful to be married. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be out there dating any longer because I don't know if I could handle it. 
the dating. Because <laughs> you have something now called online dating, right? Now, online dating wasn't a thing back in my day, okay? We've been married now 23 years, and so we didn't have anything like online dating. But I can't imagine that because online, you can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> you, what do they call it? Catfishing, right? You can be whoever you want to be online. Not only do you, can you change your appearance, you can change your personality. You can be whoever you want to be online. And if you're the person on the other line of that line, you can think you're talking to a beauty, not realizing you're getting a beast. <laughs> and that is what the end of days will be. You're going to have a lot of people who think they're getting a beauty. Think they've gotten the one they've been waiting for, the one they've been hoping for, the one who will let me keep my sin and live the way I want to live and bring everybody together in harmony and peace. This is the one you're going to think you're getting a beauty. (laughs) In actuality, you will be getting a beast. So my challenge to you this morning, God's challenge to all of us today, is that number one, we know the truth. We believe the truth. We stand for the truth so that we don't fall for the beauty and the beast. Amen. Give the Lord a hand for his word today, if you will, please. Amen. Before we let you go, I know it's late past the hour, but I believe it is worth it. It is worth it for your soul. It is worth it for the work that God has called you to do while it is day. Jesus said night is coming when no man can work. Night is coming when all this will be said and done and you will never again have the opportunity to do the work God has called and purposed you to do. So I hope that another five minutes, another ten minutes is okay to get you ready and to get you prepared and to get you thoroughly equipped for what is and what is to come. So that you may be ready and not just get ready. But before you can be ready and do the work that God has called and commissioned you to do. You must be found in Christ while you still can. Just like the spirit of the Antichrist is already here, the spirit of the Christ is here as well. And he is beckoning you home. He is calling you and wooing you and drawing you and saying, son, daughter, come home. Give your life to me. This world is not worth it. Please believe me. Please know that. Please understand. The Bible says, what will it profit a man or woman? Even if they were able to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul. It's not worth it. Give your life to Jesus Christ because he's given his life for you. All you have to do is receive him. He's done the hard part already. All you have to do is believe in him, trust in him, turn to him, turn away from the direction you're going, turn to Jesus Christ across in his kingdom, give your life to him, let him in, allow him to change you from the inside out, allow him to take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, allow him to fill your life with his spirit, making you brand new so that your eyes may be open and you may see the truth as well as the lie for what it is. That you never be deceived. You never be deceived. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never given your heart and your life to him. Make the decision today while you still can because it's only going to get harder. It's only going to get harder. Before this world, no, at least we went to church on Sunday. At least we went to church on Wednesday. At least there was some reverence to God and the things of God. Those days are gone. (laughs) This world has been getting slowly conditioned to receive the Antichrist. It's only going to get harder, not easier. So make the decision today while you still can to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you are making that decision, we would love to rejoice with you. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices from one sinner who repents, turns to the Lord, gives their life to Christ. And so we want to join with all of heaven, join with all the creation in rejoicing with you for the decision that you're making. 
Is there anybody here who's making that decision for the very first time? I've made the decision to give my life to Christ today. Anybody here at all? All right. Well, I believe then that we are at a place where we have done what God has called and commissioned us to do. To simply give you the truth of God according to his word and by his spirit. And now, simply put, we get out of the way. We allow God be God. And we leave that between you and God. But I hope and I pray that you do not harden your heart. The Bible says the very day you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say that's for another person. Don't say that's for another time in my life. No. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So even though we don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, you also don't know when he's going to call you home. You don't know when he's going to call you home. So today is the day of salvation. The day you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. If you're here, you're already saved, spirit-filled, on your way to heaven. You know the Lord. You know the Lord knows you. Well, now let's leave this place going out and making him known. Let's not be a part of the problem. Let's not remain silent when we see these things happen and say, well, let them live their truth. No, let's stand up. Let's love them enough to give them the truth. Just like somebody loved us enough to share with us the truth. Let us do that while we still can. Will you stand, please, and receive the blessing or the benediction of the Lord today? We'll be up here for a little while to pray with you if you need prayer for whatever reason. But right now, I just want you to receive the blessing or the benediction, or the last instructions from God. They are sobering words, but they are applicable to what we've talked about today. It's found in 2 Corinthians 11:13, which says this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works." Satan has ministers everywhere, including the church. (laughs) Just because they're in church, don't take for granted they're of God. Just because they stand up on a stage or a pulpit and give a message, don't take for granted they're truly of God. Because God says Satan knows how to transform himself into an angel of light, even though he is not. And his ministers know how to do the very same thing. You say, well, wait a minute, if that's the case, how are we going to (laughs) know? If we can't even trust the pastor, we can't even trust the people in the the pews, how are we going to know? Well, whenever we go to a store and we buy something and we hand them a $20 bill or greater, what do they do? (laughs) They take out a pen, right? (laughs) And they mark that pen. They're looking for something. Or they'll hold it up to the light and they'll be looking for something. What are they looking for? They are looking for what they know to be true. They are looking for what they know to be truth. Because if what they know to be truth is there, they don't have to look for every lie. (laughs) You don't have to know every lie that the devil is going to try and throw at you. As long as you know the truth, as long as you know to look for the truth, you won't be deceived by the lie. So that is what I want to impart to you today. The ability to know, to believe, and to stand for the truth so that you don't fall believe the lie. So lift your hands toward heaven. Receive the blessing of benediction. Lord, we thank you so much for the tremendous work that you've done in this place. For showing up and revealing to us the secrets and the mysteries of your word and of your kingdom and of your Christ. But also of what is and what is to come as well. We pray now as we depart from this place that we would know the truth. We will believe the truth. We will stand for the truth so that we don't fall for the lie. 
And we pray, God, that you will help us to articulate the truth to others so they, too, will not be deceived by what is happening and what is to come. So as we leave this place, God, may we never leave the truth we have learned here today. May it go before us and may it do and accomplish everything you've set for it to do for our good and for your glory. These things we ask and pray in the powerful and precious name of Almighty God, Jesus the Christ, our, our Lord and our Savior. We ask this in your name and all of God's people said together. Amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you.